do this shit and do it right And I'm the kid that all the children wanna bite Niggas wanna fight me, the shit don't excite me Hoes on a dick all twisted in they psyche Pros in the shit all digging and recite me Photos of the kids not uploaded by me Waldo come and find me Star on that pine tree Large like a fry sea Barge in piracy I'm a leak, you're a leech I'm a tree, you're a leaf I'm a king, you're a flea We some tits, you're an A I'm a D, my bite is like a lion You couldn't sting like a bee You sing just isn't violence The key is in silence You got me sleeping eyelids A lot of yes men Why you think your people's smiling Hey, baby, I'm a realsome Hey, then let's go and blow cocaine We faded for days Cause the game is contagious I'm playing, I hate this Hey, I'm about to blow my brains I'm about an on cocaine I'm toping and smoking I don't know my aim Cause that function is broken But I'm drinking and driving What the fuck was I thinking? The trunk of this Lincoln Is jumping and leaking Too fucked up to fix it You're lucky, you're breathing Your blood looks exquisite Who is it? Who did it? Who done it? Who run it? No hova, no re-re, no easy But I made the beat me So that makes me a GC The dollars they will reach me Once I hit the TV It doesn't suck to be me Pain is all I got While I'm smiling on my throne Game is on lock like an idled out iPhone. I'm a cyclone, use a low fan. Moosey goosey, call me grown ass man. Damn, where the hell are all your fans? You can tell that I'm an elephant, peanuts, great hands. Uh. Hey, baby, I'm a realsome. Hey, then let's go and blow cocaine. We faded for days cause the game is contagious. I'm playing, I hate this. Hey. I'm about to blow my brains about an on cocaine. I'm toping and smoking. I don't know my aim because that function is broken. Not enough mic. Who many MCs? Not enough mic. Who many MCs? Not enough mic. Not enough mic. Not enough mic. Who many MCs? 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 Not not enough mic. Who many MCs? Not enough mic. Not enough mic, not, not enough mic. Hey, baby, I'm a real some haze. Then let's go and blow cocaine. We faded for days cause the game is contagious. I'm playing, I hate this. Hey, I'm about to blow my brains. About an on cocaine. I'm toping and smoking. I don't know my aim cause that function is broken. Wow, I'm Nito. Blow up your submarine with one top 
Sly is an ego, ego Straight off the top of the cerebro And we know that he wrote nothing I'm private 43, not Miss Cleo But I'm gon' kill him, I'm gon' kill him Live from the Scylla, goblins, gorillas How is he illa when I've been doing this shit since seven? Yeah Vivian, where the fuck do you think you're going? I'm right here, Sam. What do you want from me? I haven't seen Rosemary since Friday night. Last I knew, she was with you. Oh. Oh, oh, all you could say is, oh, don't fucking keep secrets from me. What have you done with my heart? Uh, you think I have something to do with her being so... Suddenly in my egg. Maybe I should be asking you, mister. Don't get cute with me. Cut the shit. Tell me where she is. This is no time for your silly little mind games. And why are you wearing the necklace I gave her? You really want to know? Of course I do. Fine. If you must know, I'll tell you. I found her in the bath, a leg's blade over the rim of the tub, her red hair shaved and stubbly over her plump vaginal lips. Her other lips were bruised, a shockingly sensual shade of violet. Her fingers were clenched tightly, grasping at something unknown but decidedly uninvited. Those eyes. I chose not to take more than a passing glance. They had obviously seen it all. But they're stuck. Fixated. Capturing me forevermore. And they were judging me. Why did they continue to do that? Why are they still? <sighs> Shall I pluck them out? Oh, Rosemary, Rosemary, Rosemary. Even in death, she mocks me. You should have seen it coming soon. That bitch. I just can't help the fact that I love you.
It was the strike of an hour And the grace of God's power That laid my body to rest And I've been wondering Ever since Till I'm a megaphone living Like a dead man
every day from 9 to 5. Mr. Frizzo guy, what did he die? No, I ain't that dude, I'm so baby, but I ain't rushing, just be patient. That's what the problem is. You hit pop on it, so it's deep rushing. Let's face it, gotta get back in that mode. Damn right, I'm a dope MC, stupid. Every track I do is a single. So unlike you, I moved the whole unit. I rap, you rap. That's my stuff. Dog boy, so fake, trying to act up. Sounds like our plan just stand up. Midwest, Midwest, we back. Merit and myself acting in this two-woman show 
has been the only shaft of light, and we look forward to doing it. We worked our asses off. <laughs> we had an abbreviated rehearsal time and still we felt good about it. Luckily, of course, the audience didn't know of any of this, nor were any playgoers aware of the chaos backstage, such as painting of the set beginning only at like 11 a.m. this morning. I'll confess, I was terrified that afternoon, but we got through it before an audience tent. So, onwards and upwards, right? As we dressed for the evening show, Merritt and I kidded each other, horsing around. I heard the pre-show music kick in, and I did my ritual, a quick, and el nombre de padre, del hijo y el espíritu santo. And I told myself, this will be over in a couple hours, and I can have a drink and relax. Except, this time, somehow, I didn't buy it. A couple hours, get a drink, relax. I had a weird feeling that it was never going to end. <laughs> Ridiculous, right? The show is going well. Merritt and I, quite frankly, were cooking. For a time, anyway. I know now that it happened. Sometime towards the end of Act One, I didn't start to feel effects until, like, after intermission, and then... Yeah, well, the it I'm referring to, I like to call it... <coughs> that time my head blew up. Not overly snappy, but it's either that or I spent four years in New Mexico and all I got was this lousy brain hemorrhage. So when we come out of intermission and my head starts to hurt, like terribly, and I'm still performing, pushing myself, and a very confused merit throughout the scene. I don't know what I'm saying. I, I was not really in control of what I said. I... My voice sounded flat and mechanical, but we went on because I didn't know how to stop. <laughs> I, I remember the director shouting at me, not unusual for that ass, but unexpected in front of an audience, and then I heard him tell the crowd that the show was canceled. What? And then we went to the hospital. Someone asked for my cell phone to get my emergency numbers, my family, and I couldn't use my left hand. My time at the hospital is remembered, if at all, in flashes, a snapshot, <clears throat> jagged shards of recollection. They add up, I guess. For instance, as appreciative as I am to the staff of the ER, why do they ask questions if they aren't going to listen? My favorite was the medical history drill. Is there a chance you could be pregnant? Not without a miracle. What was that? Beg pardon? They talk in fevered, whispered, hushed tones amongst themselves. Is she pregnant? She must be pregnant. Wait, she might be. We need to know if she's pregnant. Hello? Did you notice a bright star or three wise men following me in here? Then there was the CT scan. I told them I was claustrophobic. I told them, yet they were surprised and angry when they had to pull me out and sedate me. And let me add that sedated does not equal deaf or unconscious or oblivious or stupid. I heard the cheery instruction that someone needed to notify my next of kin. Gee, thanks. Just because someone lies at the brink of becoming a human-sized can of V8 juice or snappy palm, as I prefer, does not mean they're not there. They are. I was largely out of it, I mean, really out of it for about a week. But a few things stand out in vivid technicolors, such as the exorcist who came to administer the last rite, which also go under the fuzzy title of extreme unction. <laughs> this particular priest 
I was found I was found frightening if it, I hadn't been immobile and really thirsty. Dressed entirely in black, he gazed doubtfully in my direction, advanced slowly for added drama, I suspect, then loomed over my face and intoned, Would you like to discuss your mortal sin? I wondered what was next. A pop quiz? Maybe a PowerPoint presentation? Other moments and thoughts <clears throat> that somehow rise to the top of the murky soup of that period include uh, the realization that a week into this picnic I still had stage makeup caked all over my face, that watching SpongeBob SquarePants is infinitely more enjoyable on morphine, that all the time, day in, day out, I was cold that even though the whole initial episode sometimes seemed like an elaborate joke, it was unlikely to be so. For reasons of logistics, if nothing else, it would have been it would have taken I don't know, it would have taken a lot of planning to set up the intracranial bleed, the projectile vomiting, the care flight priest, <laughs> my brother appearing at my bedside to read from the Harry Potter book. I don't know anyone that organized that, that if anyone ever comes your way using the phrase blended diet, get the hell out of there. If you can move, that is. My introduction to this was a tall glass of warm beet puree. This has improved so mightily over beef in any other configuration. Other treats from the Devil's Cuisinart included blended tossed salad, liquefied lettuce with a piquant hint of ranch dressing, and the lasting indignity of needing to ask, may I please have another sip of cake? The less said about my demoralizing assistant showers, the better. In my memory, it looms as the cruel mix of some 1950s hydrotherapy and the barren enclosure where they give circus animals a good hosing off. I'm not a big fan of rehabilitation therapy at first. In the best of times, I don't suffer fools gladly, so... Besides, I still felt in moments this was all part of a big room, but maybe I was at the center of an episode of Pumps. The first therapist came to me, her arms laden with paperwork. I said, um, I may not be up to lots of administrative work, uh, quite yet. Well, this is what I wanted to say. I couldn't, you see, because the left side of my face was paralyzed. My speech was difficult and uncharacteristically terse. I think Clint Eastwood was locked off. The next therapist asked me to examine a photograph and identify the five things wrong with it. I said I couldn't. She asked why. Because there are six, I told her. She was unamused. Unsurprisingly, this was the same young woman who one day peered at me over her clipboard and asked if my parents were still Hispanic. I found more reward in my sessions with a neurologist named, bless his heart, Dr. Flitter. One afternoon, I was speaking more easily by this time. He asked if I could explain the significance of Hamlet's soliloquy. Since I had written my thesis on the play, I was glad to oblige, and we had a nice conversation. Around this time, I began to hear many of the personnel refer to me as high-functioning. That's great. <laughs> I longed to shout, I have two master's degrees, I'm still not deaf. I decided, however, this would be impolite, and kept my mouth shut. In time, I soon deduced high-functioning Remember, that much of their chatter was coded conversation for, isn't there some other hospital that can take the crack of this vile, overeducated bitch? And so, 
and my prodding, they made contact with Fort Worth Dr. Robert Nieto, a friend and neurologist and playwright, as it happened. Shortly thereafter, I found myself being packaged and airlifted back to Texas, closer to my family and a doctor who knew me, who understood my temperament, and who just might, in time, give me a few answers in return for the millions of questions I'd been asked. But first, of course, I had to tell my story to a whole new cadre of nurses, therapists, secretaries, etc. Had I actually died and gone to hell? <laughs> I considered this scenario quite seriously for a few days. The warm beat puree <coughs> gave credence to the idea, but I finally decided that it was ruled out by the absence of animatronic children singing at Small World after all. Post-brain trauma therapy only sounds like a self-important rock band. It's actually... <laughs> it's, ugh, it's actually an avenue of treatment designed to make a given patient functional and even attempt to bring the individual's abilities back to pre-trauma levels. <laughs> Since I was regarded as high-functioning, I was told that after I'd mastered walking and talking and showering by myself, <coughs> the focus would be on assessment. I'm... lots of assessment. In other words, they wanted to determine exactly what sort of disabled, overeducated vegetable I was going to be. Assessment means testing, and I was no stranger to taking tests. I'd loved it in my pre-trauma existence, but now, the stakes seemed much higher, and I soon had an unshakable sense of myself as a failure. My self-esteem was further undermined by lots of people telling me what to do around the clock. You know I love that. And a strange assortment of persistent fears and worries that filled my thoughts. I worried that I was going to miss a day somehow. What? It's Thursday? What happened on Wednesday? Where'd it go? or get hysterical if I realized I didn't know what time it was. I hated being alone, ever. A misplaced pencil could bring me to tears. And let me emphasize, no one's ego has ever started to soar as long as they required an escort to go to the bathroom. And here's something you need to understand. <clears throat> as good and vital as they are, as much as we need them and owe them, hospitals are not the best places to heal. This is true for many reasons, not the least of which is that as you get better, or think you're getting better, you want out of the hospital. Maybe you're not ready to go rock climbing or swim the English Channel or resume your career in theoretical physics, but if you can feed yourself and construct simple sentences, you're ready to leave. And odds are, the good folks at Our Sisters of Flagging Mercy are ready for your departure, too. <laughs> I know a nurse who's resisted many offers of advancement and promotion and increased income, all she leaves her work in surgical recovery ward. This, of course, is the land of gaudy, gauzy silence, where patients spend their most immediate hours after leaving the operating table comfortably mute and the pillowies of, of noble pharmaceuticals. <laughs> when asked why she turned down chances for money and positions, my friend says simply, I like my patients. What's so special about patients in surgical recovery, you ask? You're quiet. Once everyone agrees you're headed for outpatient status, things really ramp up. Therapy intensifies, and there's no time for frivolity. Every evening, when the night nurse would ask if there's anything else I needed, I'd say, yes, a vodka martini with extra olives. Tolerance for the banter ran out when everyone else in the brain trauma wing took to ordering cocktails, too. Similarly, my caretaker is predictably dour when a drop in my blood pressure had dictated that I be given an IV. There's not much else I can do, she said flatly. I responded with, 
Oh, so I guess working on those one-handed cartwheels is out of the question, huh? She considered this for a second and then asked without humor, Is that what they've got you doing in therapy? Yes. Yes, it is. I'm actually not in therapy. I'm just preparing to audition for clown college. On one occasion, my therapist insisted we click hitch. I'm afraid it looked more like an oddly mean-spirited game of dodgeball. Later on, she gave me the test of trying to walk the aisles in the hospital's cluttered gift shop and not bump into anything. Hell, I couldn't have done that the day of my life. Finally came the day when I was declared an outpatient. Now, lest you overestimate the magnitude of this liberation, let me emphasize that being an outpatient is rather like being on parole. The tether is short, your circumstances are limited, and lots of people have their eye on you. Still, so, I was free. Free to stay in a patient friend's house? The tether... <laughs> free enough uh, to have my own room and bathroom. Free enough to only require the presence of a shower chair and the rented wheelchair. I'm happy to report I used but a few times. Most importantly, it was only now that I realized just how fiercely determined <coughs> to recover and recover totally. I really was. Finally, I was on my own getting better really didn't involve jumping through hoops or pleasing someone or even trying to do enough just to shut them up now I'm playing for cute and playing for me that made all the difference outpatient therapy offered its own brand of polarity of course I sorted screws and wing nuts to the box and thought it not much different from a tech theater class years before there was a computer exercise entitled Tower of Hanoi. Cheery, huh? That involved stacking monkeys of various sizes atop one another until the topmost creature could reach the apple that dangled above his head. Two questions came to mind. One, is Hanoi renowned for its plentiful orchard? Secondly, it bothered me that the bottom monkey never got to eat. Personally, I'd never allow a group of friends to clamber on top of my head if there's nothing in it for me. Ugh, I kept this opinion to myself. I did not remain silent, however, in performing a response time test, which they told me would determine if I'd ever be allowed to drive. On the wall, they, pro they projected a giant grid divided into several squares. My assignment was to press a button every time I saw a light pop up in any square. Unfortunately, they discovered I was actually trying to predict which square would light up, sort of testing the test. Firstly, they switched me to a computer exam and reminded me that my future as a driver depended on the outcome. This time, I was to stare dutifully at the screen and pound the space bar each time I saw the letter E. I remarked that I'd driven for years and years and never, ever seen a giant E lunge in the oncoming traffic. Again, they were not amused. <laughs> Many of the therapeutic activities concocted for outpatients seem like bizarre hazing rituals. You know, do this stupid repetitive thing for no good reason until we decide if you're good enough. At least pledges get drunk. The first time the therapist told me we were going to attend an outing, I was really shocked. After all, I've spent a big chunk of my life in the theater and among theater people, so that verb had a very specific meaning to me. Who was going to be outed? Another patient? That seemed unnecessarily cruel. Once again, I paid the price for thinking too much. Our outing was simply a van full of brain trauma patients dispatched to the grocery to gather ingredients for next week's occupational therapy. I like to look back on this period and believe I was pretty stoic, if not outright tough, triumphant, a testament to the human spirit, or displaying other qualities while suited to a movie on lifetime. But one afternoon, 
after an especially rigorous battery test designed to improve my processing speed, I lost it. I really did. I was trying to assemble these blocks in a prescribed pattern, and it was simple, and I could see it in my head, but I couldn't make my hands do the work. And so, meltdown. I was sobbing all over those goddamn blocks, and the therapist, she was great. She spoke softly, and she said, Does anyone ever explain exactly what happened to you? Did they tell you? And of course, no one had. They told me I'd be alright after they told me I wouldn't live through it. They told me not to mind someone taking me to the shower or feeding me liquid pie. They told me there's no substitute for hard work. Not to be too hard on myself, but I just needed to ask a few questions. And that sarcasm had no place in the therapeutic process. And they told me that I was doing great, that I needed to work harder, that I'd be good at the news, and that I'd have to accept my limitations. And they told me that they needed me to take just one more test. One more time. Just give it one more shot. And then they told me not to cry. But nobody ever had explained what the hell went on in my head. When my head blew up, what really happened? Well... This woman with a soft voice and soft hands, she did. She showed me a picture of the human brain and explained what a three centimeter, centimeter bleed was. And it occurred to me that I should quit crying and become aware. Make myself aware of just how lucky I was to be walking and talking and have enough cognitive power to cry and get so goddamn mad because I couldn't realize what my stumbling blocks were. That was the distance I traveled so far. So far. A sense of proportion is a very valuable thing. To see things in scale to the world around you See, I mastered those damn blocks. And my family and friends, so great. Accompanied me through countless games of Boggle and Connect Four and Jumble Word Puzzles. I did them all. <laughs> well, the results of my last test in outpatient therapy suggested that I may never be able to pass a time test like the SAT or the GRE. I think I'll get by. I've even reached a point of being philosophical about the way I left that bewildered audience back in New Mexico. It had to have been a weird evening for them. And I'm sorry, but, you know, I've let myself off the hook for that one. And honestly, that night, <clears throat> as strange and unnerving and troubling as it must have been, it really wasn't even the stupidest thing I've ever been a part of on a stage. That would involve a musical. Hello, all you sexy naked girls radio listeners. Have yourself a naked day and make it a naughty night with me, Sandra London, on Playtime with Sandra every Sunday night, 8 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 10 p.m. Central, 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time.
Thank you.